Welcome to the archives of The Laura Lee Show, conversation for exploration, timeless discussions to challenge and expand our worldview. And while you may find our guests fascinating, the views expressed may not necessarily reflect those of our own or of the Kuimange Institute. That's why we call it Conversation for Exploration. And join in our ongoing live events, interviews, our own presentations, and much, much more as we go exploring. Learn more at kuiamungainstitute.com and lauralee.com. Welcome to Conversation for Exploration. Hi, I'm your host, Laura Lee. Oh, our subconscious mind is a vast, rich, and mysterious storehouse. And our guest, Mary Lee LeBay, has been diving into that through hypnosis for some time for herself and for her clients. She co-authored Through the Open Door, Secrets of Self-Hypnosis, and as a practicing hypnotherapist, she's been delving in with this tool into the subconscious minds of many people, looking at uh, past lives and other things. Um, and she's from Seattle, right here in our studio. Hi, Mary. Good afternoon. So you must have some interesting insights into what the subconscious mind can tell us about how it works, You know how the subconscious is connected to the conscious, how through the veil, it seems to me, is where the subconscious is anchored how things work on that side that impact us on this side. Do you not? Yes, the subconscious mind is just fascinating. And a metaphor that I use for the subconscious mind, and I think other people have used it, is an iceberg. And the very tip of the iceberg is our conscious mind, what is in our mind at a given moment. And that would be really just the thought that's in our awareness in a given moment. And everything else is below the surface. So all of the experiences that we have ever encountered in any lifetime are housed underneath there or stored underneath that surface, and that's, you know, the, the subconscious mind. So through various tools or even through dreams or inspirations, uh, we can access those little bits of information that are below the surface. And some of them are up towards the towards the surface. More like, easily accessible. Right, like what we did yesterday or what we had for lunch or our name and address, things like that that are right there. And then things that are uh, more difficult to access might be your chemistry lab from high school, <laughs> uh, you know, some information that has been buried a little bit deeper, and other lifetimes. And sometimes other lifetime information is actually more accessible than um, some things that have happened in this lifetime. Do you think that the subconscious mind then is just a recorder for life experiences <clears throat> and it's not erased when you go from one life identity uh, to the next? Does it also record then what happens in between lives? Right. Our subconscious mind has everything in it from the time of our creation it's all in there it just we just don't access it typically but yes the information from between lives is in there uh, blocked memories it's all in there in fact even information that we might not have been exposed to originally but i was going to ask you yeah. are we entities under ourselves or our subconscious mind help us connect to other vast reservoirs of experience, understanding, mystical know-how, what? Right. Or would that be our super conscious that does that? Right. And these are just terms, you know, subconscious, Artificial divisions that we like to... Right. Semantical uh, issues here. But uh, we are individuals, but yes, at some level we are all connected. So there is a part of your subconscious mind that knows what's going on on the surface of Pluto right now. Uh, it's just not something that we're paying attention to, nor do we typically access that type of information. But we can know about everything at some level. Because the wisdom traditions tell us so, or because from your personal experience through hypnosis and, and looking into the subconscious mind, you've had it through demonstrated experience, to you? yes. What kind of dem demonstrations have you seen in your work of that? Well, uh when you when I take people into hypnosis, we're able to access all sorts of information, really fascinating things. And sometimes it is, well, typically it's the information of experiences that people have had. But we can also change our perspective in the hypnotic state. 
I can have the client, for instance, experience how other people are seeing them, or they can experience uh, remote viewing, for instance, and be able to see things that would not have been in their own physical experience, you know, what they're doing here. They could remotely travel to somewhere else and experience things there. Do you think it's their spirit that's doing the traveling or that they're just kind of asking what other consciousness is already there? I don't, uh, it could be either of those or a third choice, which would be a part of their own subconscious that, that can access that information. It isn't limited by time, space, geography. No. Getting into the quantum level here, aren't we? Right, exactly. As soon as we get out of our physical three-dimensional experience, there is no time and space and all of it is right here. How old do you think the process of hypnosis is? Do you think the ancients were using some form of it? Is that what the Oracle Adelphi was doing, tapping into the seer's subconscious mind or what? We really do have records of people using trance states, not formal hypnosis, but definitely trance states in almost all indigenous tribal work, whether it was witch doctor work or uh, what they did in ancient Egypt or any kind of trance work. See, we consider hypnosis a form of self-induced shaman or mm-hmm. yeah if it's, it's con- used for that, on that it's just, continuum yeah it just depends on on the the purpose of the of the trance work so yeah it's just it's just putting a person into that level of trance where that knowledge becomes available uh, it opens up the pathways to the subconscious mind and actually gets a person more in touch with reality than we are in our typical everyday life Oh, this the the new book that I'm writing Define on. Define reality. Yeah. <laughs> now there's a there's a subject. Um but this new book that I'm writing called Hypnotherapy, a client centered approach, actually discusses the fact that that we're in trance all the time. A lot of people say, Oh, I don't think I can go into trance, but we're there all the time. Um our personalities are bundles of trance states. My level of self esteem, for instance, is my trance of my perspective on that. Um, when I drive past my exit on the highway, I'm in trance. My mind is somewhere else. In hypnosis, we, we can take those trance levels and make them very, very focused so that we can achieve wonderful things, everything from healing to self-discovery to just opening the subconscious mind. Um. How do you induce a trance state, or how is it done in hypnotherapy in general? Are there a a range of ways, or do most hypnotherapists across America use a a standard method? What does it involve? There are actually several, many, many induction techniques, and they range from uh, like a guided visualization where you... Uh, you know, have people relax their body parts, uh, to, uh, oh, I don't know. There's, there's so many of them. Um, eye fixation and eye fluttering and. What does that involve? Well, you would, you would be staring at a spot on the wall about 45 degree upward and until your eyes begin to flutter. And then you would, uh, depending on what the, what the hypno, therapist is doing, but they might drop their hand in front so that your eyes go down. And there's a whole, there's a whole number of techniques. Yeah, we don't use that very much. The the pendulum uh, swing kind of thing. But actually, I use very little induction technique. Uh, If it's a first time client, I might do that. And a lot of that is for effect because people think they need to have a long induction. But there are a lot of uh, therapy techniques now that just by starting the technique, the person will find themselves going deeper and deeper in trance. So as as we're actually accomplishing some work, they're also going deeper in trance, so it becomes more and more effective. So the more you do it, the easier it is to step into that um, state. Also, And you yes. want to find a... I mean, there's many places that you can go to once in trance, but you're trying to find a place where... The memory's accessible, the mouth can still work and talk, you're present, right. to, you're kind of bridging that world and this. Right. The As memory banks, your own hall of records within and right. this. Right, and you don't, in most of the work that I do, I don't want the person so so deeply entranced that they can't talk. I, I do need to keep them at a level 
um, which also allows them to remember everything that we talked about. So they'll come out of it. They'll remember everything. They can, they're quite conscious while they're doing, but doing it, but yet at the same time, all of these pictures and experiences and emotions and knowledge and wisdom is becoming accessible like to them. Like a daydream? Them. Is it similar it is. in feeling to a daydream? It's very mm-hmm. much like dreaming. Very much, what I tell people is, it's very much like telling me about a dream because you can mm-hmm. still experience the fear or the happiness or whatever experiences, you can still see it in your mind's eye, but yet you know you're telling me, you know you're sitting in this room and we're having a conversation. So when people have a daydream and they're just sort of, you see, you know, you have that experience yourself and you see other people, their eyes are kind of focused on some distant point in the room and they're just not there. Is that your soul just saying, you know what, you need a message here. Let me show you some pictures. Let me tell you a story. Let me, it seems to me it when it's happened spontaneously. Yeah. It's, yeah, definitely just checking out and, and uh, getting that that trance state. And also when a person... We slip in and out so easily, it has to be a normal state of affairs, but go ahead. I think it's very healthy to do that, too. It's a shame that... We are explorers. Right. Who wants to stay here all the time. (laughs) And it's such a shame that teachers say, don't daydream, because it's a very important uh, aspect of our consciousness. And imagination is one of the most important tools that we have, and it's really not supported and developed enough in anybody's life, I don't think. I think, yeah, we just really, really need to uh, expand our imaginations. can go on some interesting journeys that way. Um, through the open door secrets of self-hypnosis, how do you hypnotize yourself and be both the facilitator and subject at the same time? Right. It must be a trick. Yeah, and it's not as easy. I, to me, working with a hypnotherapist is always the ideal, but it is more costly than doing it yourself. Uh, with the hypnotherapist, they're, they're uh, coming up with the t- tools and techniques that keep you on track. They make sure that everything comes back together by the end of the session, all of those kinds of things, where if you're doing self-hypnosis, it can be very effective, and it's, it's a wonderful thing to learn and practice so that you can access that kind of information anytime, day or night. Similar to having a vivid dream and then remembering it and, and analyzing it? It depends or? on what you're doing, but it's it's mm-hmm. very similar to meditation, um, going into that kind of trance. But meditation typically is a more passive, you, you quiet the mind and let things come in. Mm-hmm. Where self-hypnosis, you quiet the mind the same way, but there is an agenda. So you might have a purpose written down, I want to achieve this, I want to understand this part of myself. And then you're actually doing things that will lead you to those specific answers. So it's a little more I active see. than meditation. You're cooperating with your imagination in a way that says... Let me explore this particular mm-hmm. book sitting in this library of the Hall of Records of my personal existence. Yeah, something like that, yeah. Or if you just want to even understand, you know, uh, why is a person a smoker, for instance? And it, so if they're trying to quit smoking, they want to do self-hypnosis. Uh, what's got you hooked? Yeah, what's what, the, what are the what's hooks? What's the thread you can't untie here to right. release you? Exactly. What, what are the underlying things, the secondary gains, the conflict within myself? I want to quit and I can't. What's that conflict? So looking for answers, looking for active things within the subconscious mind or within the conscious that can can take place as opposed to meditation. So the last couple of um, people you've helped um, stop smoking or stop some annoying habit, what sort of surprising um, answers have they come up with? Um, it, they can be very interesting. Uh, I, I take a look, I look at every one of my clients is totally unique. And so each client is going to bring something very, very different in their set of um, issues and the root causes of those issues. And do you feel like sometimes it's a Pandora's box? You just don't know what's going to fly out Yeah, you open the lid? but it is fascinating. Every single client is just a fascinating journey for me. I love it. But with smoking, it can be a number of things. And what we do is, or what I do is, I start them out with secondary gains. There's four questions in secondary gains, and we can apply these to Tell ourselves me what they are. It anytime. Yeah. Well, the first one is, how do I benefit from this? So if I was a smoker, what benefit do I have in smoking? What are some typical answers that people have uh, 
Oh, and um, what do people gain? It's such an well <laughs> ugly habit. Well, uh, they might gain space around them. People don't get too close. Oh, I see. And very typically, they get to take breaks. They oh, get. I'm addicted. The break. I have to go outside and smoke this Absolutely. so I can leave the meeting. Yeah, exactly. Their their non-smoking coworkers don't get ten minutes every hour. <laughs> they don't get to walk outside and. Right. Take I a walk around the woods. Smokers. Right. Yeah. So then the second question is what is the detriment of smoking? You know, what is the downside here? And, um, you know, then that list is also long. It's got, you know, dirty lungs, yeah. shorter life, Bad potential breath, cancer, yeah. Yeah. smelly clothes, smelly house, people don't like it, you're shunned, all of those things. Um, and then you look at the opposite. If I were to quit smoking, what would be the benefit of that? You know, maybe I can do more exercise, I can ride my bike, I can ski, I can live longer, whatever. And then what is the detriment of of quitting smoking? So what is the downside of quitting? I won't get my break, whatever. So when they answer those four questions... In, in a trance? They're, well, or are you talking to them prior before what trance I, work? This is one of the things that puts them in trance. So what I would do if the person came in and said, I want to quit smoking, I'd say, okay, close your eyes. I mean, we'd, we would have a little interview to begin with. Mm -hmm. But then close your eyes, and as you begin to relax, tell me what is the benefit. Oh, because the subconscious mind is the true, um, I don't know, personality director and mm -hmm. you can't get anything past it that it doesn't want to okay or feels threatened by or want to do. Right. So you need to solve what the subconscious is doing uh, and is what it's holding on to right. in order to get any real-time waking behavior change. Yeah. It goes the theory. Okay. We, we definitely want to get in there and find out because a lot of times uh, the person, sometimes the person knows all these answers, but sometimes there's that little clue that comes up that they weren't recognizing or had not admitted to themselves. Like, like they want that break. You know, I need mm -hmm. that 10 minutes. Or um, I had a, a recent client who uh, always had a cigarette after dinner. And it was because she felt that she had to be doing something all the time. But if she had the cigarette, then she could have 10 minutes before she had to get up and do the dishes and do all that. Oh, was it a legitimate reason to sit there and just right. kind of, yeah. So what we did was we worked on her feeling okay to say, hey, I'm going to sit here for 10 minutes and digest my food and enjoy myself, mm -hmm. and then I'll clean the kitchen. And, and as I soon don't as eat she... the cigarette to make it an right. excuse. Yeah. And so we talked about, well, what else could you do instead? Well, I could... I could knit, I could read the newspaper, I could read an, a favorite magazine, I could watch a half-hour sitcom. I could do a lot of things that I would really enjoy, and I don't need the cigarette. So, Did, Was it effective? Was she able absolutely. to? Absolutely, mm -hmm. yeah. Typically, people will go either from a couple packs or you know a pack and a half a day down to either zero or one or two cigarettes a day without a problem, just doing the therapy. And that's really without any kind of strain they'll they'll just go there. And Are then, these pretty much hard cases that that seek out hypnosis because they've tried everything else? Hypnosis tends to be the last ditch effort for yeah. a lot of things. It's like I've tried everything else, I'm going to do this now. The same with uh weight loss, that sort of thing. Weight loss, tell me about that one. That's a, sort of another big one. What's the benefit of having an extra 10 or 20 pounds? Right. For some people. Oh, you mean what are the answers typically? Yeah. Um they maybe are not as attractive, and so they don't have to deal with people coming on to them. Um, uh, maybe they're less accessible sexually to their mate. Um, you know, it, it could be a number of things. But it, again, it, quite often it's, it's protection of some sort. Not always across the board, but, you know, because everybody's different. But a lot of times it, it does have to do with that. What other kind of uh, presenting symptoms do people walk in your door uh, seeking hypnosis to help them solve? Well, two of the, well, a couple of the ones that I really uh, am fascinated with, uh, one of them is fibromyalgia. Really? Because so many people are being affected by that, and it seems like more and more in the 21st century. What is it? Well, even the medical community doesn't know. And wow. that's why it's so intriguing for me because uh, these the, the people, the, the victims of this illness or this chronic um, syn syndrome, 
are are really desperate because they're on no medications. There are no answers. It only gets worse. It it's so mysterious, and the medical community at this point is is just trying to hold off the pain, and and it becomes debilitating where they they can lose their job or go on medical. Um, it's just pain medical. everywhere. There. And it travels. It'll be in the hmm. shoulder, then it'll be in the knee, and then it'll be in the stomach, and then it'll be in the back, and, and it goes all over the place. The intriguing part of this is that through hypnosis, we can go into each of those pains, and I have discovered that there might be three or four past life connections to the pain, um, and then it, then the pain moves and we go somewhere else. But we can actually we can actually reduce the pain. Now hypnotherapists cannot claim to cure any disease, but we can certainly alleviate a lot of the symptoms, alleviate the pains, and maybe there is a lot of healing being done. What we've found with fibromyalgia, um, the people that have been doing this work in hypnosis, and what I've found in my cases, it typically. If the person were to change jobs and do something that was their purpose, where they felt really passionately connected to the work that they do, they would not have the the symptoms. It would clear up so they can get on with it. Yes, or if they were in a relationship that they liked. So if they either changed their relationship or changed their jobs, the the symptoms of fibromyalgia may be, you know, significantly decreased. But we can discover all these things and specifically what that person needs to do through the the uh, hypnosis, through the trance work that we do. So you can, a person can come and say, you know, I really have pain in my shoulders. And you can bring them through hypnosis right into the shoulders so the pain kind of talks to you, the body in a sense talks to you and say, right. well, Here's what's going Here's what on. I need. And often yeah. past lives will... I've heard a lot we'll that about phobias as well. Yeah, phobias can connect with past lives pretty pretty significantly as well, especially if you don't know why you have that phobia. Do you find the, the uh, particular past life relates somehow to that area of the body that's in pain? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we'll find that maybe they were stabbed in that area or, um, you know, had a blow to the head or uh, had an accident of some sort or any kind of thing that that has created that pain but we bring it into this life simply as a reminder of some sort in other words the reason that it shows up and the reason that it's it that particular to, pain but it's telling you something it's telling you something our body is one of the most incredible communication devices <laughs> in existence it tells us everything we need the problem is that we're so busy that we put it off and put it off. We we allow those stresses to to build up inside of us, and we you know just have another glass of wine or smoke that cigarette numb or numb that message n- out, numb it, yeah, have a, have an aspirin or or worse, and and you know years later when it's screaming at us and we can't do anything else, we start addressing it, and but this is what we find. Okay, I have this this thing going on with myself and I've asked various people who seem to have a clue or an insight into what is happening here but very often I will come to I will start to come down with a cold you know I'll have a sniffle or just feel it coming on or even intense stomach pain in one uh, one example and I'll just say not doing this, not going there, this isn't happening, I don't have time for this, I'm not willing to spend three days suffering you know, not happening and it goes away mm-hmm. and Am I hypnotizing myself out of taking that route? And is my body just saying, you know what? I really don't have to. These germs, these viruses really aren't going to manifest. What is happening here? Because I can do mm-hmm. that over and over and over again. And I'm, then I'm wondering, gee, what else can I do with this? You yeah. know, how can I expand this? You know, what else? Absolutely. So tell me about... Uh, I believe so. I believe um, that we can... I mean, it instantly goes away. To mm-hmm. the point where intense stomach pains, and I'm just going, not happening. I walk out the door, it's gone. Yeah. It can be a, a form of self-hypnosis. You know, you are talking to the subconscious mind. And specifically, though, I think if you've also done something to help. In other words, if, it got the, if you were able to get the message and then say, okay, now I don't need to be sick. In other words, if you start to get the sniffles and you realize, well, you know, maybe I am a little run down. 
I'm not going to get the sniffles, but yet you do maybe take a long bath. Oh, I take or the take Alistair vitamin C, and I'm, right. I'm dousing myself with that stuff all the time anyway. But. Right. But if you, you know, if if you listen to the message, then absolutely it doesn't have to do it anymore. All the all the body wants to do is to get your attention. So. You know, if that comes on and then you say, oh, I need a little extra zinc or maybe I should have some echinacea or maybe I should just decide that I don't need. Actually, I also think that it's really, yes, you supply the body with what you need, but I also think you tap into the life force in a way, you know, where I just sort of feel my mind sending out a tentacle to attach to, you know, give me a little more life force juice here because I shouldn't really have to suffer this depletion, whatever's going on. Absolutely. There's more energy available to each and yeah, every I one of like us than we use. Yeah, I think you just sort of it, you know, from the very air or something. You can. You can open your pores to receive more of it metaphorically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, so maybe maybe that's mm-hmm. enough for you to stop and say, hey, wait a minute, I just need to open up Tune those in. channels and not be yeah. blocking the energy that's available to me. And then you just open it up and say, now I don't want to be sick, go away. <laughs> and, I don't know what the process is. Yeah. But what do you do when you start to come down with uh, something? Do you stop and say, okay, my body's trying to tell oh, me yes. something? Absolutely. How, do, how much time do you, do you schedule this? Do you tune in for a minute, 10 minutes, oh, an hour? Well, what I, do you like, do? I like to spend a little time every day um, meditating and going inside to check myself. What form myself. of meditation do you do? whatever's available. Sometimes, I mean, I don't know what, it doesn't have a name, but I I do a little bit of self-hypnosis and I just go inside and I scan my body and I meditate and typically very focused meditation or what we would call self-hypnosis in that I want answers or insights, communicate with my spirit guide, whatever. But if I get sick, to answer your question, if I if I start to notice my throat, throat or something, yeah. I always stop and ask myself, what am I doing? I get it in the throat because if, I've, if I'm wearing myself down and my body is saying, you need to have rest, you're too stressed, It'll go to my throat because if I can't talk, I can't do therapy, I can't do readings, I can't do a lot of things. So it gets your attention by going for the juggler, so right. to speak. It's yeah. like, well, I have to cancel all of my clients. So it's going to get my attention and get me to respond in the way it wants me to do. So if I stop and I go, okay, well, I see this. So then I schedule in rest time and I maybe take care of myself in a different way. Then it goes away right away as well. Tell me what you mean by scanning your body. Um, Mm. When we come back, sounds like an interesting exercise as we continue with Mary Lee LeBay, exploring your own subconscious mind. I'm Laura Lee. Let's get back to our conversation with Mary Lee LeBay. Her book, Through the Open Door, Secrets of Self-Hypnosis, available at the radio bookstore. Um, So past lives are another uh, territory that you can access through hypnosis, uh, famously. Yes. So you say that uh, before we get to the hypnosis end of this, you say that the past lives often bubble up through dreams, through coincidences in your life, even the people in your life. You may have spent lives with them before. Right. Um, so it's something that tends to be present, overlapping one lifetime to another. Right. Our conscious mind may be wipe free with amnesia, but our subconscious, no, you say. Go ahead. Exactly. Um, there are many indications of past lives that we really do tend to overlook. But when we meet somebody for the first time and you have that instant connection of, Isn't I know fun? you. Absolutely. And when I teach this class, Everybody raises their hand. Yes, this has happened. And it could be a positive thing, or you meet somebody and immediately you say, there is no way I can trust this person. And there's no reason. They have given you no reason to have that opinion. follow those instincts. Yes. (laughs) With caution when you get that one. Exactly. Um, So you might meet somebody and that might start giving you indications. Maybe you go to an art museum or a natural history museum and you see something of a a culture and immediately connect. I got pulled over almost magnetically to one display case of Celtic scrolly stuff Uh, in the British Museum. Uh, and just couldn't 
tears running down. Couldn't explain that one. Yeah. I told my art history professor, and he goes, well, you'd make a good art historian, my dear. Uh-huh. You know, you really emote with this stuff. And I'm going, I yeah. think it was... Yeah. It could be past life, too. Uh, yeah, so museums uh, oftentimes give us indications. Dreams, of course, um, if you have a dream, especially if you wake up and your dream, you were in clothing of a different time period or something like that. Some dreams are just fantasy as well or just archiving information. But uh, when you're in the first person and you're in different clothing and experiencing uh, real life experiences, that sort of thing. Doesn't there seem to be a certain element when you have dreams that really put you into the shoes of another person that must be you because it's so familiar? There's some other experience like a witnessing or, you know, your brain just takes on another vibe or something. Mm -hmm. You can feel that difference. My explanation from what I've uh, learned and and seen is that we all astral project at night in our dreams. When we're sleeping, we'll astral project. And then, of course, we know that all time and space is right here. There's no differentiation. So if you... If if you want to time travel, go to sleep. If you just go to Paris in 1934 or uh, Egypt in the year zero or whenever... uh, you can do that and you can basically possess your own body. So you can actually get into the body of that person who you were or in some time How frames you, you might say are. How do you set that up? Is that a little, you know, exercise that you do before you, you go can. to sleep? Well, to you can program, facilitate that? you can program yourself to do that sort of thing. Um, what I use programming for for my dreams is to find answers to problems. A little um, more practical there than yeah, you know, I've just got that cruising. Capricorn Mercury happening. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, but you could. You could say, well, I really, really want to visit a past life that I've had and then pick a place, for instance, Egypt or Greece or any place, the Old South or Civil War, whatever, and just concentrate on that as you go to sleep at night. The key is that you have to remember your dream when you wake up. You know, if you forget so your dream. what are the tips to do that? Keep a journal and a pen nearby. Right. And program yourself to do that so that the first thing that happens as you wake up is that you're concentrating on where you've just been. You know, what are those memories? What are the feelings? And really concentrating on that rather than the alarm going off or I need to start the coffee or, oh my gosh, I'm late. I need to jump in the shower. Just take an extra couple minutes and say, okay, where have I just been? What am I feeling? Because sometimes we we don't really get the picture, but we can still feel the emotions or have some other connection to it and then expand on that. Question. Some people, you know, are better kinesthetic, they say, some Mm -hmm. audio, some visually oriented Mm -hmm. um, as their primary sensory uh, experience. And does that hold true? In the trance state, in hypnotherapy, in the dream state, yes. where if you're an audio person, you might hear more than you see. If you're visual, Absolutely. you'll see more. Yes. Know? And even accessing past lives. When, I, when I'm when i helping people access past lives, I tell them, you know, a lot of people are expecting uh, panorama, Dolby sound. Uh, We're spoiled by the movies, aren't yeah, we? Yeah, exactly. We're expecting 3D, all this stuff. And, and sometimes it's not like that. We might get a sense of something or just a knowing. And if we just hold on to that sense, then the pictures might follow. Or maybe there'll be words or, or just a knowing. And and it can be very filmy. The Like you said, we're very used to and very spoiled by the movies. Our physical world is so dynamic. The, the noises and the sounds are so loud or can be, and they're so dynamic. Um, colors are so vibrant. Things are so solid that when we're working with the astral or whether it's memories, past lives, communicating with our spirit guides, um, seeing auras, things like that, we're expecting that full physical apparition and it it's really more like film it's very it's like looking at cellophane it can be very very or a reflection in a glass reflection and we have to be very sensitive we have to really kind of slow things down quiet things down so that we can be sensitive to those more subtle things the subtle subtle input of of the senses why are you personally interested in all this and what have your own past life 
memories ah, told you. Yeah. it. Uh, you know, I've been interested and believed in past lives all my life. I just never, ever questioned it. And it's interesting because now that I've done some past life work of my own, I noticed that certain games I used to play as a child. Like what? Well, like playing school teacher. Uh-huh. And I've discovered um, teaching lives. And of course, in this life, I teach. I do a lot of teaching. And that's, that is a thread of my purpose is to teach. And, but when I was a child, I would do that. And uh, when I was a teenager, early 20s, I went to a psychic fair. And the only thing I wanted to know was my past lives. And somebody told me my lives. And when, when they're told to you, you don't really know if the person is accurate or not. Mm-hmm. That's why I like the hypnosis is because you're actually going to Go experience Go to your own it. self as yeah. authority. But yeah. the, the lives that he told me actually later on I had confirmed. And one of them was a school teacher in the Old West. And he had told me this and he said, he said, you were a school teacher and uh, you were in charge of all these young children. And it was out, you know, in the prairie somewhere. And he said, these two Indians rode up and you stuck the shotgun out and you defended the children and you killed the Indians. And so, you know, I had this one perspective of this lifetime and I thought, okay, that's, it's pretty, you know, strange, but I thought, okay, well, you know, maybe I was a hero and I saved these children. Well, later when I did the regressions, I discovered that yes, I was the school marm and I had these little children. But it was my fear that made me shoot the Indian. And it turned out that one of the Indians, one of the natives, Native Americans, was my soulmate. Oh, dear. And we would have had that contact. And because of my fear and probably prejudice in that lifetime of, you know, here you are, you have to defend against these wild people. Ask questions later. Yeah. Yeah. And I shot. And um, so they could have been friendly. Yeah. They were just coming up. You know, also uh-huh. just to discover who we were uh-huh. and being in charge of all these little children, I thought that I had to defend them. So it's kind of a sad twist to it. But it was interesting that the psychic was able to tell me about that life. And then later, you know, and I had one perspective of it, but later when I saw it from a different perspective, it changed my whole feeling about that. And then I got to learn about some things that I needed to work on inside of myself. And so that's one of the things that past lives can do for you is really demonstrate from a perspective outside of ourselves the very things that we that we have in our character that we need to work on. Uh, okay, because those carry over too, don't they? They sure do. Well, How do we, you know it wasn't a planted memory um, or a planted suggestion about being a school marm in the Old West, that when you actually accessed it, it, it was there... Truly. Well, there was one other person. I had met my soulmate at that time. And so at the later time when I was doing the regressions, and he actually did the regression first and saw it and told me. So he said, I see myself. I'm I'm a Native American, and I'm riding towards this schoolhouse, and I see you. You're the teacher. You know, so he was telling me, and then later I did it. So I was getting it from several sources. But he also Are you saw with the soulmate in this lifetime? May I ask a personal? Um, yeah, well, not now. We were, we've been, he's actually been my teacher for 15 years, a spiritual teacher. But we were, we were in a relationship, but we haven't. <laughs> yeah. We decided, I decided, well, we, no, we, we jointly decided that it would be better to have the teacher relationship and the spiritual relationship and not not the um, romantic relationship this lifetime. It's been better for growth. You need to be growth. on equal footing yeah. with a it was, it was romantic difficult. partner. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So it, it's been working out better that we, we learn. I learned from him. He's, he helps a lot. Do you think we reincarnate in groups? Have you found that to Absolutely. be the case? Absolutely, uh-huh. yes. Um, I had a really interesting experience um, when when I was back in Ohio working with my teacher. I still work with him now, but we what we did was we set up what was called boot camp, and it was two 13-week segments, two classes a night, seven nights a week for 13 weeks with a break, and then we did it again with about 12 people. And so every night we had these two classes and everything from past lives to psychic development to Bible studies to philosophy. We had to play three games of chess every day. We did martial arts. We studied math for logic. We, you know, really, really intense trying to do 
um, all aspects. We had to develop an aesthetic, you know, whether it's art or, or uh, music, poetry, write a play, whatever, all during the 13 weeks as well. So it was an all an, a rounded out kind of education for this. Well, as it turned out, we were all doing past life regressions with each other and discovering almost like blind studies because two people would go off and do a regression and two other people would be somewhere else doing a regression. And when we came back, we would find that we were remembering the same lifetimes. We were remembering each other in those lifetimes and the roles that we played. And we were confirming each other's regressions. And it was, it was a really marvelous experience. But uh, through that, yes, we, we do incarnate in groups. And I think that when people feel that they're disconnected, that they don't feel like they belong and they haven't found that, I think that, that that's when they haven't found that group, that there's a longing. And when, when they are really on their purpose and when they're really exhibiting their own energy and not any facade, like, you know, living out mom or dad's roles or whatever, and they're really, really doing their authentic life work, they will connect in with those people that are from their own group. Oh, interesting. So by setting out on your own authentic, from your own authentic self, on your authentic path, those members of that group that support that just, you just magnetically it's amazing. find each other. It is amazing what happens. Hmm. Absolutely. It just, it's like a, it's important a to doing lighthouse. soul work. Yes. It's like to keep you true on your path and Absolutely. find your bliss. And that's my favorite stuff to do in hypnosis is to help people find their purpose, to really straighten out the things that are, or, you know, remove the blocks for people to be that authentic person, whether it's through fear or, um, you know, anything that's holding them back. What are the types of things that you find are holding people back from there? Well, typically it could all be expression. under fear, under the, mm -hmm. you know, it'd be the fear of people not understanding or, um, you know, people being afraid that, well, I'd have to give up my present friends or my family wouldn't approve or I might have to quit my job or it might mean that I may, I'd have to leave my family or my, my spouse or it, it mostly it's fear of what that step will require them to do. Meanwhile, mm -hmm. They're staying miserable and unfulfilled, but somehow that isn't as bad as taking that risk. But what we do is we look at what that risk involves and, and we just explore it. We find ways to strengthen the self-esteem, strengthen the person, the courage and conviction to live that authentic life. And we find out what that is for an individual. Often when people begin to take those steps... Do they really have to leave their friends, their family, their job, their spouse, et cetera, et cetera? Or was that just some sort of idea that they thought was a requirement? They would not have to. It's not. I wouldn't uh, think so. No, no. Sometimes it's not as drastic as they think. Oftentimes our fears are much bigger than the reality of, of what has to take place. Or it's some myth out there of what sacrifices you need um, yeah. that aren't really true right um so a lot of it is um you know maybe just dispelling the myths or dispelling the fears and realizing that a lot of times you know like i said uh, the the fear looks bigger than it really is so oftentimes i ask people what what would be the worst thing that would happen if you did that and then what would be the worst thing that would happen if that happened and by the time they get to the end of that chain what we call an outcome chain they find out that the worst thing that could happen isn't all that bad or even that likely to happen. And so they realize that there's nothing stopping them. And it's just an open door and they can just reminds go Reminds me of the elephants that were trained from babyhood to be tied by the merest little string uh -huh. to a post. And then when they get to be adults, they could easily walk away, not even feel the breaking of the chain, but they have a psychology, I'm tied up, i got to stay here. Yeah. I think we do that to ourselves, yeah. don't we? Yeah, I just have to stay this close to this object. Or, we yeah. think it's some big heavy chain, but it's just a mere thread right. that we invent. Yeah. yeah. And the results, the the difference when when you're on the authentic path and when you're really living that and you've connected with your other, you know, people in your soul group and everything, it's so it's so passionate and it's so beautiful that you would never and go back. And deep. <laughs> exactly. 
And I think that's often why we shut down that communication in the first place, to stay in some role that we think we have to. Uh, we either have to shut out the voices of whoever's telling us to be off of our path, or we need to shut off the voices of whoever's telling us to be on the path. Right. And I think that has a lot to do with your own psychology mm-hmm. um, and how you develop and who you're listening to, what you're vibing into, mm-hmm. and what knowing you're resonating your own, with. Knowing your own boundaries. Even yeah. if somebody said, get off the path, you could say no, and it would be okay. Or if somebody's telling you to you know, to get on the path, you would be able to discern whether that's accurate or not, and if it if it feels right to you. So discernment is a huge part of it as well. So um, when you're doing a self-hypnosis, um, how do you induce for yourself? How do you put yourself through those paces? Well, you have certain CDs, I think. There are CDs, yeah. Other ways, so you, right. you could listen. tape can be that voice. Uh-huh. Or you could listen to um, creative visualization tapes. And is it a mere intent as well, just saying, I'm going to quiet down and really hear this come up and be patient to wait for it? Or Yeah, a lot of times we just don't stop and listen. We ask a lot of questions, so but we don't listen <laughs> to the answer. Yeah. yeah, we want instant gratification. And with anything, an example that I use is, when um, when a child takes that first step and they fall and then they, they kind of reassess what, what went wrong and they get up and they do it again and again. And we've all so done be that. be patient with yourself. Be yeah. kind with yourself. And yeah. every little thing that we would maybe call a failure, <clears throat> excuse me, is, is really just a, a reassessment of how to become more successful next time. So rather than saying, well, even with smoking, when people say, well, what happens if I have that other cigarette? And I say, well, instead of looking at that as you failed to quit smoking, you can have that cigarette and realize why you're doing it. And then you'll know that next time, you know, you'll know what to do next time. Pay attention as you're smoking that as to why, what's going on. I just really needed a break. Why couldn't I just say, I need Mm -hmm. 10 minutes to go outside and walk around and think, Mm -hmm. instead of saying, I need to kill myself with this cigarette. So, but, but, but not to say, okay, now that I've had that cigarette, I'm a failure. And now I'll go back to two packs a day. And in six months, I'll try to quit again. No, you had one cigarette. And it's just a mile post to tell you Mm-hmm. that, okay, this is still needing to be worked out. Yeah, you're not quite comfortable, you know, with this boundary in your life or with this issue in your life. And so so you just keep going. You keep quitting. And, um, and, oh, and look at like it as a success. it looks like a big barrier when you could break it down into a number of small steps. Right. I learned to skate ski uh, recently in Sun Valley. And it's like, you know, Paul, who grew up in Maine, took to it like a rocket. You mm-hmm. know, steps into these new skis and he's just out there. And I'm going, okay. But, <laughs> you know, I learned one one skill at a time and then so just add skill on top of skill mm-hmm. so break it down into its separate steps learn to do this learn, learn to do this fill the edge do this do that and then pretty soon there you it are it all happened together right. but it, what looked insurmountable at first was better to say okay i just need to do this then i need to do this and breaking it down into steps right so meditation and self-hypnosis is the same thing i would think you so. know take 10 minutes it doesn't have to be an hour of your time take 10 minutes and just concentrate on your breathing and just concentrating on relaxing all of your muscles um one of the one of the ways that i uh advise people to begin with self-hypnosis, if you don't have a tape, is just name the body parts and tell yourself to relax. And scanning. You were going to tell us how you oh, scan. how to scan. Yeah. The body. Well, yeah. it's kind of an interesting thing. What I do is I close my eyes and I just go inside and then I start typically at my head. And just like if my in, inner vision was like an MRI, I just start at the head and I just start moving down and noticing any uh, aberrations, any any colors, any spots that I feel, or it could even just be tension. Okay, so if I feel tension in my neck or there's a pain in my head or something, and all the way down and you just keep going neck, the shoulders, and, and just keep looking. And you can even develop that where you can do that for other people. You can look and you can tell 
you know, if they feel wheezy because they've been smoking or if their throat is sore or if there's enlargements in the intestines or if their knee is hurting. or And you can see that, but it's just kind of an inner vision and you just slowly move down the body and just observe what you sense. If you're doing it for someone else, oftentimes it will reflect in your body as you're sensing it in them. So, I hear that from a lot of uh, healers. Yeah. They pick up on it. Right, exactly. So you just have to neutralize your own body so that you can de- determine what is you and what is coming in as information. It's amazing what even your hands can pick up. We worked with Ipu Piara in some of his workshops, a rainforest shaman, and he said, well, just put, slowly put your hand over this person lying here uh, as this demo model and see what you pick up. Everybody was picking up the hot spots, the cold spots, the the calm spots, the highly energetic spots, we all were feeling it simply because somebody said, you could do it. Let's do it. Yeah. Give yourself permission. That's so, uh, that probably Why 90%. can't the mind do it? Mm-hmm. Exactly. We worked with another uh, woman some years ago who said, okay, scan the body and then if there's a problem, you can visualize a hose coming in and washing this away or any scenario you want to invent. Mm-hmm. And Paul had a big swelling on one part of his body that went down dramatically at the end of the session. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was just it seeming me, seemingly miraculous. It's amazing how quickly the body responds to the directions we give it. Right. And the imagination, back to the imagination, the subconscious mind um, doesn't understand words. It understands pictures and experience. Uh, And so as we imagine things, such as a hose washing away, you know, debris or whatever, whatever, it thinks it's happening. So you can actually um, gain experience or even bypass your own lessons by imagining them. So if there's something really negative coming up, maybe something you have to learn, if you imagine it clearly enough and really connect with the emotions, maybe write it in a journal, but every single detail as though you are really, really living through it, your subconscious mind may just check that off and say, okay, they learned that lesson, or they've already had that experience, now they don't have to go through it in life, which is another benefit of our dreams. Oftentimes our dreams, you know, we'll have a really scary dream and it will it it will teach us that kind of lesson, and then we don't have to have it here in the physical. And thank you. Um, and Mary's book is Through the Open Door, Secrets of Self-Hypnosis. That was Mary Lee LeBay. Thanks for listening, and good luck on your own journey. There's certainly a lot of tools that we have uh, and techniques often right within our fingertips, right within our own subconscious, our mind, or higher conscious to travel life well, make it the adventure it can be. This has been Conversation for Exploration, and I want to thank you for joining us on our tour around the universe at large here tonight. And join us next time. I'm Laura Lee. Laura Lee Online. www.lauralee.com. <laughs>